Under a Red Glow is an everything photography podcast covering the entire range of photography from chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes all the way to modern digital photography and beyond. Be sure to visit us at www.underredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode 114 of the Under Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker. I'm a full-time photographer who practices, teaches, and demonstrates nearly every photographic process in history, including modern digital gear and techniques. And with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. She practices and demonstrates many processes herself and is our entry-level process and kids class instructor. Welcome, Christine. Good evening. What's going on? The end of another week. End of another week. Yeah, I got nothing. It's the end of another week. We're getting the remnants. Well, actually, we're we're getting a lot of rain from Hurricane Ian, which was uh, absolutely devastating to the the people of Florida, and I think is uh, I think it's her. I think it's Category One, and it's hitting. Uh, it's hitting just south of Myrtle Beach. Pretty nasty down there. I uh, hope everybody. Uh, if we have any. Hope everybody's doing okay down there, especially if we have any listeners down in Florida. Uh, we hope, uh, whew, I can't imagine. I've seen some photos. I think I, I saw a photo today of Fort Myers, and pretty much like every building needs to be rebuilt. It's absolutely just devastating and heartbreaking. I saw a, I saw a, a beautiful lighthouse. Well, beautiful as in still beautiful. It wasn't like a brick lighthouse. It was kind of a metal more modern lighthouse kind of thing. And I think it was Sanibel Island in Florida. And the the lighthouse uh, looks like it may need to be torn down. It looks like there's there's some structural damage to that. And, and like I said, it was heartbreaking because there was a photo, an aerial photo of that lighthouse before the storm and after the storm. And you, there were a lot of buildings around that lighthouse. And it, it looks like just nothing. It looks like, looks like nothing was ever there absolutely devastating absolutely terrible yeah but uh you know our our hearts are with anybody who is uh, who is uh, who has suffered from hurricane ian and of course anybody on the east coast that is going to be uh, going through you know they said hurricane ian touched landfall three times florida south of myrtle beach and i'm not exactly sure where else it touched was it you know Cuban, Virgin Islands, Cuba, Puerto Rico. I don't, I'm not really sure where it originally touched, but it definitely picked up all of its steam right before it, it slammed into Florida. Thankfully, it was not a, a hurricane category five, but category four still isn't uh, anything to, to kind of discount. But I think it went to category one. It's, I think it's landfall now, and we're getting a lot of rain here. And it's, you know, we're, we've got a, a wall of 100% chance of rain for the next three days. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's bittersweet. We, we need the rain, but unfortunately uh, we didn't need the destruction that came with it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really terrible, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, I've uh, got some, uh, got some interesting photo news that had come through and I keep getting, I don't think we've ever talked about this before, Christine, but I keep getting messages and just you know, sometimes talking with people, and 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 sometimes people that are that are really surprised at at when we're out at a location, and every once in a while I get a message, and they're not you know they're not they're not nasty messages by any means, but people are like, hey, you 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 teach workshops, why do you give out so much information in the form of podcast, YouTube videos, you you share a lot of things online, and when you're out in person, 
uh, you bend over backwards to try to make sure people understand every step of the process. Is that a bad thing for your business? And we're going to talk a little bit about that after these messages. Christine. Yes. So you saw you, Christine found a, an article on, uh, we got a couple, a couple things here. Uh, Twitter is copying Instagram reels, which copied TikTok, which I think copied Vine, which I think copied Satan. <laughs> just, just, just throwing it out there. I remember Vine. It was Vine the the vertical video, or I, I, there was also one called like Periscope. I don't remember those. But Periscope was for people that just absolutely couldn't turn their phone ninety degrees counterclockwise to to record a video. I am a, I I don't like YouTube Shorts, and it's kind of funny because you can tell when a YouTube creator is just wanting a little bit extra money because apparently what I read was YouTube put like millions of dollars into encouraging people to make shorts a thing. And I wish it would go away. Shorts, if you don't, if you don't uh, know, it, are those little tiny 30, 30 second videos. They're vertical videos. You cannot blow them up. Not like you would want to blow them up anyway, because if you're looking on a, a landscape monitor with, with eyes that happen to be in the landscape orientation. And there's no way to, I think, I think you can pause them, but there's no way to kind of jog back and forth with a shorts video. There's no way to block them. There's no way to tell YouTube, Hey, I don't want to see them. And sometimes you just get a YouTube creator that just has to ping them, ping them, ping them, short, short, shorts. And I just got to unsubscribe, but vertical video, absolutely the work of, of Satan. But and TikTok is the same way. At least TikTok, I don't know if you can you can view them on a on a computer screen. But the problem is Twitter is copying Instagram, which I think is is on its last legs. A lot of people are fleeing Instagram. I won't I I don't look at Instagram. When I remember, I'll put I'll put some Instagram stuff up there because we do have some fans that still that still use Instagram and connect with us through Instagram. But I don't look at Instagram because you are hit with so many, so many ads. And I'm even getting the same way with Facebook. Facebook, you're getting hit with so many ads. It's going to get to the point where I'm sharing I'm sharing the information that that people expect me to share. And I'm reaching out to people to do it. But I'm getting tired. I am so tired of just the constant barrage of ads. and And it makes you think that. And a lot of people say this, and I used to say this myself. If, if Facebook or Instagram or Meta, whatever their name is now, if they would give me the option to pay, what are you, what are you getting per, per view? Like, let's say, let's say you go with normal clicks per million or CPM, which is clicks per thousand for some reason. I don't know how that, how that turned out that way. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things is I'm only getting paid, you know, you're only getting paid it's costing the advertiser like maybe a penny or less or maybe a little bit more for me to actually see an ad. And it makes me wonder, can I, why can't you give me an option to say, look, I, I know I'm using your service. Give me a price for how, for, for not ever seeing an ad ever again. But here's the problem. YouTube, uh, not YouTube, but YouTube is, is one of those as well. But Facebook is... If we gave Facebook each a dollar a month 
or four ninety nine a year or whatever. The problem is, is then they're going to lose advertisers. Remember, you Facebook. I keep saying YouTube because I'm I'm not too happy with YouTube. Uh, I had never really been, but lately it's they've been really bad on their creators. But it reminds me that if you're using a service that is free, you are the product, and all this stuff, and and everybody's witnessed it. You know, you maybe search for something through Facebook, and then all of a sudden on YouTube, you're getting ads for that. And all of a sudden on 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 Google Maps, you're you're getting you're getting you know you're seeing those places that you just happen to search from a different platform. I mean, all these people I think are in cahoots with each other. They're sharing data about you, and and that's making it it a profitable venture for advertisers. So I don't think we'll ever see that. We will never see Instagram and Facebook saying, "Hey, look for X amount of dollars a month." or X amount of dollars a year, you won't see any ads. You just never will. Because I think everybody would jump on board. Facebook is designed to keep your eyes glued to that screen as long as humanly possible. And they know that people will pay that money. And then therefore the advertisers will pay less. And I've always ran it. I've also, you know, I've ran it about Facebook's ads before. It seems like, you know, I'm, this is only speculation, but it seems like all the hits that I get on on ad ads anyway are are, are generated. And the one of the last advertising campaigns I did with Facebook, I, I told myself I would never do it again. But I did another advertising campaign with Facebook a couple months ago, and they're like, "What do you want? Do you want more views or do you want more interaction?" And I got bots messaging me like just completely nonsensical stuff like what you would think a bot would 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 message you and not only would these bots message me and i'm like you know i'm thinking maybe it's not an english speaker you know maybe you know whatever so i try to reach out to the person and i get nothing and then like a week or two later i would get the same stuff from the same person finally i blocked i blocked this person uh well i blocked these people that, that just were sending just nonsensical stuff. And, and that wasn't even like, it wasn't even like negative comments or negative things. It was just, it was so generated, so computer generated these, these, these comments or actually they were questions like just weird questions for, for the thing, you know, for the event that we were advertising, it was absolutely terrible, but it, it reminds me again that, that, that you know we are the product and it 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 worries me because instagram is failing i think twitter is failing i don't know anybody that's still on twitter and you know you you're going to try to copy somebody somebody else that's failing's concept i don't know i don't know how these these companies stay in business i don't know how these companies keep people glued to the to the the screen but the problem is they're out there to make money as well. I can't I can't blame them. But on the other hand, it's too much. I'm drinking from the fire hose of ads here and I'm I'm just burnt out. I'm completely burnt out. I will go do what I need to do, but long gone are the days for me where I just scroll through amazing photos on Instagram or I scroll through Facebook and see what my friends and family are up to. It's gotten so bad. Have you noticed it? 
I've noticed it. I just put up with it because I like to see what people are up to. And I just know that I'm going to scroll a lot more than I used to because I'm, oh, that's an ad. Keep going. And, and like, I've never, I've never seen something on my, on my feed and thought to myself, huh, I want one of those. And if anything, I'll see something that's being advertised and I'll say, man, that looks pretty cool. I'm not going to click the ad. I'm going to research what's out there. And nine, nine times out of 10, there's something better out there. The reason they're hitting that advertising so heavy handedly might not necessarily be because it's a good product. They just want, they just want to get it in front of your face. Maybe there are a lot of people that just sit there and say, Oh, a, a, a dishwasher that, that does this and this and this, I'm going to go ahead and just click it and buy it sight unseen. I don't know. I really don't know what's going on out there, but the problem is there must be a lot of people clicking because the ads are just, they're just bombarding me. I admit I've clicked on one or two things. You're the problem. I don't do it often, but sometimes that when I'm looking for Christmas gifts and Evil. something pops up that I know, oh, so-and-so would like that. Well, I can understand maybe very unique things, but even if I saw something, even if I saw something that was created, I'm going to go and see what else is out there. Okay, I got an idea. I'm going to go see what else is out there. And if it's not a copyright, uh, a copyrighted thing... I'm going to go over to Etsy. I'm going to support a, a small business owner in the United States that makes this. I don't know. What do you guys think about, about just the ads? Have you seen a, a, have you seen an uptick in ads? Because I have, I've seen just an uptick. It, it almost seems like it was every, every three posts. Now it seems like it's every two posts. And and sometimes like some days I will, I will scroll through Facebook and, and I'll see one and then, None for the probably I probably hit or blocked most of them anyway. So maybe that's a problem, but I don't know. Not really sure. Uh, I also want to talk about AI programs. There seems to be a lot of programs coming out that just promise artificial intelligence, one click and done applications, you know, applications of making your photo pretty. And I'm, I want to, I have a question of, you know, do we think that's good or bad? And, and who are those programs for? Has anybody out there just taken a, a photo and, and just had no idea what you wanted to do with that photo and just given it to the hands of artificial intelligence and all of a sudden, oh, it's a great image. I don't know any creatives. I don't know any creative photographers or, or creators that said, Hey, I'm just going to let let a computer say what what needs to be done to this image. Now, I'm not talking about like auto levels, auto color, correcting an image in Lightroom, Camera Raw, or whatever photo program you have. But I'm just talking about maybe something that will that will goose the sky apart in a certain point, or maybe replace the sky and crop it the the way that that it thinks you you should do it. You know. I can maybe understand people that are just basically starting, maybe saying, oh, these AI programs are cool. And in fact, that's probably who's buying these things. But photographers, on the whole, I think, would rather have the control over their programs. I, it makes me think of last night where at Camera Club we had tabletop night. And even the most experienced people 
were playing around with things and when they had an issue getting someone else involved and saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Well, why don't you try this or why don't you try that? And it was just so much fun. Even, you know, even the most experienced light person there was getting help from someone else to get other ideas. Yeah, unfortunately, I had a, I had another job, so I had to I had to leave. But just coming back, I was able to come back with about twenty minutes to spare, and just seeing everybody just playing with stuff and new lighting, and oh, what what kind of light is that? How you know what kind of setups do you have? And just playing with each other's lighting setups. That's photography right there. It was it was amazing to see, and people were walking around like, oh, I really like that. Where did you get that? Mm-hmm. And like the lights we took were just too straight led bars that stay or static lights yeah hot, cold lights cold lights cold lights and christine has these they're led panels what are they three feet three feet long and maybe maybe two inches three inches wide but it's a very good strip light for uh, for she likes a lot of silhouette stuff she likes rim lighting things in the studio and and that's why christine bought those those are christine's lights there but Getting back to my main thought is photographers, in order to to make your eye better, coming home with a card full of images that suck is a great learning experience. Coming home with a, a great set of photos of maybe a friend or a family member or a loved one in the park and you you, you realize, oh man, there's a tree sticking out of their heads. That is a learning experience. When you can come home, feed it to a program, hit a button, and pfft, here comes a perfect image, you're not learning as a photographer, and you're not you're not gaining those life skills that when you are photographing something professionally, or maybe you're not photographing professionally, maybe you're photographing for yourself and you are in a, a, a weird situation, all those life experiences gain, you know, kind of kind of pile on and then you have that tool in your toolbox of how to deal with this or how to deal with that or what to look for when you're looking at the background of your images. Because you sat at you sat at your photo editor for an hour and thought, "Man, how am I going to fix this? This sucks. I need to remember not to do this next time." Right? Really wild. I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought on the AI programs and and I complained about Topaz AI because of their their nagging stuff. Which uh, the way the way I fixed that, if anybody else is dealing with that, you you bought Topaz, maybe your subscription ended. You don't need to buy the new subscription because just like every other program out there that's subscription based, they've got to push the new version, <laughs> DxO Nick, <laughs> and you don't want that. You don't need that. The programs work just fine. You don't need the fact that they added another color in the in the 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 duotone filter setting you don't need that well the problem with nick and you can mess around with some config files in nick if anybody wants to know kind of my secret on that send me a message over on facebook or or through email address but with topaz i just blocked and i may do the same thing you know nick may work the same way but i just blocked all the exe files in the topaz suite on my firewall and uh, I thought it, I thought originally I may have to go into my host file in Windows and just say, okay, anything going to Topaz, just no, just block it. But that seems to have been the fix for that. Uh, but the problem is if you, 
I'm not sure. You you may still be able to to buy Topaz down the road and update your software. Uh, your firewall should keep that, at least for the Windows firewall, your firewall should keep that that executable's location unless Topaz changes the name of the executable. You should be able to still keep that rule in there so that when you when you when your subscription expires again, you won't have those stupid nags. But anyway, the Topaz AI stuff I like. It doesn't always work. In fact, you know, my track record with Topaz is very, very rarely does it work for me uh, just because of what I what I do and how I shoot and, and what I expect. It, but I know a lot of photographers love this stuff. Heck, heck, I use it. But I'll always send something through Topaz, Denoise, Sharpener, Gigapixel, whatever. And uh, and but I usually I didn't know. That's I like it. The, I like it better the way it was. I know a lot of photographers that love it, love it, love it, love it. I like using it, but I have sent it through before and gone, ooh, that's worse. Go right. back. And it's quote unquote AI, but again, it's an, it's an AI thing. I'm mostly I'm mostly pointing my finger at stuff that that promises to be the end all be all of put your image in here, hit a button, and I'm going to spit something out that's gallery quality. And you know what? Maybe it is. But it's a computer's vision, not yours. And is it the same? I mean, is it still a photograph at that point? Well, that's very interesting. If it now our, our camera club has a rule that you can replace the sky. If 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 it had my if you had my uh, you know my say, I would say no, no replacing of the skies. But we we decided to okay. Well, let's allow people to replace the sky, but it's got to be a sky you photographed. You can't just pop in a a default sky that came with Luminar AI. You can't just use their default skies. Everything in the image needs to be yours. And we even had that a couple of years ago where, where somebody downloaded a stock image of a of something and, and added it. And you know, that's that's a no-no. Uh, I will tell you that if I am judging your images and you did not do such a perfect job at replacing that sky that I can't tell, it's out. You better make sure every reflective surface is is picking up that new sky. And, it's, and I'm, I'm not just picking on replacement skies. I will pick on HDR as well. If I see halos in the sky, gone. Taillights. But, you know, that's just that's just me. That's your taste. In that's my taste, yeah. absolutely. That every, every person who judges has their taste. And I'm, but I'm glad that lately most judges will throw out an image if they can tell it's HDR. Good HDR, you can't tell. Kind of like vignetting. Vignetting, I I don't want to look at an image and that's the first thing I see is, man, look at the how much vignetting is on that. And vignetting being the you know darkening of the edges, kind of like you know old school lens vignette. But everything everything in moderation. And and as I said, if you're putting your image up to a judge or in a contest, you better make sure you that that judge can't see. They want to see the image. They don't want to see the processing. Right. And I do the same thing. I, you know, my, I'm very picky with, with tool marks. If you go in and clone something out or heal something or you paint something in, if I see tool marks out, sorry, that is part of an image. That is part of the processing of an image. And the, the, the contests are, are there to make you a better photographer. And if I don't pick it, pick it out and, and say, look, this is why I don't like this, because I see tool marks, I'm not saying it's a terrible photo. You should, you, know, you should sell your, your camera and you should delete Photoshop from your computer. 
No, I want you to go back and understand. And, and typically when I see a tool mark, I will say, look, here's how to find tool marks. No, no shame in this. If you, if you use Photoshop or if you use, if you use Photoshop, I always tell people to, to make a, uh, make an adjustment layer, drag your brightness up and down, drag your contrast up and down and make sure that I don't, you don't see any tool marks. If you have another photo editor that does not do an adjustment layer, just go into the, the brightness and contrast settings, drag it all the way up, drag it all the way to drag everything up and down and see if you can tell tool marks. And if you can fix them, that's all smooth the edges out, fix those tool marks and, and you're good. But every photographer will clone and heal and, and stamp and do all kind of things to images. We could do it in the dark room by, uh, by, uh, by bleaching negatives or by adding density to negatives. So I'm not going to give people a hard time doing it in digital. Heck, we do it in digital as well. But you need to know how to do it correctly. That's all. Right. Uh, something that's kind of, kind of exciting. Dolly 2. Remember Dolly 2? That's the AI photo whatever. What you do is you enter in a, a, few, a few words into a text box, and it will spit out a couple of images that are AI-generated. Now, I think we talked about that a couple episodes back. Is that photography? I don't think it is. But I tried it. Dolly 2 is, is open to everybody. You can go to the Dolly website. You can sign up. And right away, it's, the, the, the trial period is over. The, the early acceptance is over. You can make images right away. You can get, I, I think, your, your first, you get 50 free credits. Okay. To start with. And those credits will expire after a month. Any free credits you get, they expire after a month. You get 50 free credits for the month after you sign up. And I think that is per search term. But it, that's a search term. And then every month after that, you get 12 credits or 15 credits. 15 credits. Any credits you you buy, I think you get for $15, you get like 115 credits. They will expire after 12 months. And it's kind of interesting that these images from Dali can be used uh, for any legal purpose according to their terms, including commercial use. And then they even write this down. This means that you may sell your rights to the generations you create, incorporate them into work such as books, websites, presentations, and otherwise commercialize them. Now, of course, you can't make a Dali 2 image of a Coca-Cola can on the moon because you still have to you know, worry about copyrights. But as far as Dolly 2 is concerned, you can, you can use them for anything. I did a couple of them. Just, just putzing around before, before we started recording, and I, I did a couple. I, I did one, and, and I'll put these on uh, the Under Red Glow Facebook group. I did one. It was a red light bulb shot on film with a pinhole camera. And I thought that the, the, the results were kind of interesting. Then I did... Red light bulb, let's see, red light bulb shot on film with high resolution, Hasselblad, stormy weather, and I got I got some results there as well, which I thought were interesting. The problem is these are only 1024 by 1024 PNG files. These are still pretty small yeah. as far as that's concerned. And I'm guessing eventually Dolly will probably, the people behind Dolly, I think it's OpenAI, they will probably come up with a higher resolution version and charge more money. But right now, it's going to be kind of fun to play with. 
Do I think it's going to replace photography? No. If there's a blogger or a somebody making a newsletter or somebody playing around with something online and and they're they're creating something where they want a conceptual image, yeah, they're going to find something. But do I think photographers need to worry? No, because I'm not going to be able to sit there and say, okay, well, I want a high-resolution photo of Christine in front of a waterfall. I'm not going to get that. If I am a product photographer or am I am a still life photographer and I want a photo, a still life of peppers, you still don't know what you're going to get. It's still kind of a very, it's a very lucky kind of thing. You're rolling the dice, you're getting conceptual images, but can photographers use this as far as maybe ideas? Absolutely. If you have an idea for a photo shoot, maybe you've got a, a model and, and he wants to do, do something out in the woods or she wants to do something out in the woods, maybe you can throw a couple words into this Dali program and you can put a bunch of words in there. But maybe you can come up with some conceptual stuff that gives you an idea. I don't know. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting. I will put, uh, where did I find that? I think I found that on, um, that is on digitalcameraworld.com. And that came out uh, seven hours ago. Today is Friday, September 30th. So if you go to digitalcameraworld.com, I will also link the, the, the URL to them as well. That way you can log in and get started playing around. It's going to be kind of fun, but I can, I can imagine uh, there's another one called Crayon, C-R-A-I-Y-O-N, and that, that returned very very small resolution photos. It returned nine of them, I think. This Dolly only returns four per credit, but you can also hit the button that randomizes it again and, and, and creates some different stuff. Maybe fun for making some digital negatives in the darkroom, but again, I said, uh, you know, I said that they, they were pretty small. They still are 1024 by 1024, and they're, they're only squares. They're only one-by-one one ratio. I haven't played around with asking for maybe like a four-by-six, just haven't yet. You saw a, a, an article on Petapixel, didn't you? Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. It was wedding photographer eating alone sparks debate on how the they are treated. Okay. Now I haven't read this. I asked Christine to read this so that she can, she can kind of, uh, kind of let us know what the article says, but really, Really, Petapixel. I don't know who wrote this, or maybe Petapixel picked it up from somebody else. It must be a very slow news day, because the problem is wedding photographers should be eating alone. Wedding photographers are, we talked about it last week, wedding photographers are nothing. We are the wallpaper paste in the reception hall. We should not be out in the center spotlight. Well, um, what a, it, it wasn't saying about that. Okay. This photographer was given food but given nowhere to eat it. So he had to go back behind and find a wall to sit against and eat it by himself in a back hallway. Okay. And I'm not saying it's wrong. And he wasn't saying it's wrong. He was actually doing a series at the time of times that he found himself eating by himself. And, but people picked it up and were like, oh, well, he should he's, have had a spot at a table in the he, back. So he's photographing himself eating alone in several different situations, not just wedding photography? It wasn't just in that. Okay. But people picked up that particular photo and blew it up. So he got a lot of uh, comments on it. 
okay. So then let me let me figure let me figure out what you're trying. You know, let, let's talk about this a little bit here. Um, there there are two thoughts on this. First of all, brides and grooms they don't know. It's it's kind of it's kind of like a thing a photographer's got to let know. I've, I've got it in my wedding contract. When you and I are out photographing a wedding, that's one thing that's that's there. Look, I am going to be at your wedding for the entirety of the ceremony, usually several hours before. I am then going to be through your ceremony, and then I'm going to be photographing your reception, your entirety of your reception. Now, I eat a hearty breakfast. I've got I've got power bars in in my camera bag. I've got you know you've got power bars in your camera bag. We bring our own water bottles. We bring everything because we don't assume anything. But in our contract, you know, we we want to be fed. And that's kind of a standard thing. That is a very standard thing for photographers. And now thing is is I don't need I don't need lobster. And then typically I've I've photographed in fact I photographed a, ca- a crab feast for a local candidate a, a couple weeks ago. Did I eat crabs? No. Did I eat, you know, did I eat the fancy stuff? No. I made myself a, I think it was a, por- a pulled pork sandwich, and I got back to my, my job. But the thing was is they offered me to come and eat. They said, hey, look, we're coming to doing this. Um, make sure you take time to eat. I still ate ahead of time. I didn't expect anything. But I'm not going to eat the, the, the fancy stuff. So, you know, if a, if a wedding reception's got lobster tails and, and sandwiches, you know, give me a sandwich, put me in the back, whatever. But, give you know, give me a space. We need a space to eat. We need something to eat. And um, what was the other thing? We need space to eat. We need something to eat. And, oh, and and, and usually, and, and not because I am, I think I am so important, I like eating first. Well, not necessarily first. I, first is a bad word. I like eating as early as possible because typically, here's how here's how usually it works when when I'm I'm photographing a wedding. I will eat first, and then I'll scarf this food down. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not drinking beer. I'm not drinking champagne. I'm not drinking wine. I'm eating I'm eating basically the food, and I'm drinking water, and I want to get back out while I am eating. I've got another photographer hitting hitting the tables. When I am done eating, we'll switch out. But I like eating as soon as possible because I want the ability to do, grab food really, really quick and then be ready. Because that's when a lot of people really, really kind of uh, have the camaraderie and 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 go up and have the, the personal interactions is after food. I want to photograph the people on the tables before they they mess up their table with food. And then when everybody's done eating, that's when people are up walking around, saying hi to people they haven't seen in a while. So definitely, you definitely need to do that. Um, but what did uh, what more did the the article say? Well, it said that there were po- mostly positive responses of people saying, "Oh, that's not right. They should have had a table for you to sit at so that you could eat and." Just like a vendor table for all the people who were helping with the wedding. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. The DJ, he eats at his table. And and honestly, let me let me tell you this. Most DJs want to eat at their table. They want a little bit extra space. That way they can eat at their table because they want to be there. They don't want to be walking around away. What if something happens? What if an audio file gets corrupted? Whatever. They don't. They want to be able to do that because I'm sure DJs are just like photographers. We want. We have a job to do. Yeah, we've been there for a while. You're offering us food. Let's get some food. DJ DJ has been setting up for 
several hours before the reception, and then we'll be tearing down after the reception. So I, uh, I, I just don't see a vendor table happening. And when we tell somebody, look, you know, we, uh, it's, it's customary for the, the photographer as well as your other service people to eat, put us as far back as possible, put us as far. And if, if, if you give, uh, Christine and I, or, or me and whoever my second shooter is a, a two person table back in the corner where the trash can is, I don't care. That's kind of weird. I don't know. Did you have, did they have any other comments on that? Uh, and then they said that there were some negative comments about how at least they were getting paid and getting free and, or getting free food, which it's not necessarily free because it's part of your payment for being there. Absolutely. Uh, and I, and I, 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 you know, we talk about that whenever I talk to a, a bride and groom, I definitely talk about that and say, look, the, the, it's not that I want to eat your food. I don't care. I don't care if you give me a ham sandwich or you give me a, uh, a steak dinner problem is that that me and my my people have been there for so long we need food we're going to eat a like i said we're going to eat a big breakfast we're going to have some some power bars to get us through the day but at some point we're going to start dragging and and we i think we even talked about it last week i'm not going to nickel and dime you and say okay well you've only got five hours and then i'm going to leave no ain't going to happen i'm staying as long as i need to stay and and i've never had anybody anybody say anything about it so the thing is, anybody kind of talking about, oh, well, the photographer is getting food. The photographer shouldn't be 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 getting food. Well, they've obviously never photographed a wedding or they've never been a vendor at a wedding where you're there for maybe 10 hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as far as the photographer eating them, eating by themselves, yes, the photographer should have been given a table. Maybe he didn't make it clear in the contract that, Hey, I'd like for you to give me a place to eat. Put me at the the very last table near the relatives you don't like. Let me have a place to sit. Let me have a place to put my camera bag. Let me have a place to, uh, you know, maybe I need to sit down. I've got a laptop. I'm going to pop, pop a card in. I'm going to start, start backing up immediately, whatever. Um, but maybe that's the photographer's fault. Could the photographer have eaten somewhere i don't know i don't know if there was anywhere to eat maybe the photographer just wanted to look i, I want to get everything's under control maybe i've got a second shooter shooting and i'm just going to take some me time i'm going to go find a quiet hallway i'm going to sit against the wall and i'm going to eat you don't really know you don't know right but but i, I kind of wanted to talk about that because when you told me about that article it was like okay well I didn't like the I didn't like the comments about people thinking that photographers shouldn't be shouldn't be fed, and then um, but then I wanted to kind of also back up the, uh, the the bride and groom. Maybe the bride and groom wasn't wasn't asked and and made aware from the photographer. Look, I need a place to sit. Look, I got I got three I got three shooters. I only need one place because we're not going to be eating at the same time. Not that I haven't seen photographers at friends and family's weddings where <laughs> maybe everybody takes a break and, and they're missing all these great, these great moments. But yeah, basically that kind of odd. Speaking of, speaking of, of kind of odd things, uh, I get, I get a comment and I mentioned this in, you know, before we went to the, the, uh, the break, 
got another I got another message today. And I get these I get these comments and questions every once in a while. And the gist of it is, and I'm not I'm not going to name names and I'm not I'm not giving people a hard time, but it's something that comes up enough that maybe it's time to talk about it. But I the gist of the the comment is, John, you you teach workshops, you teach lessons, you teach classes. Why do you put so much effort into making, you know, teaching people stuff when you're at a presentation? And the 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 basic gist of the comment that I give them back is that I don't care if you're presenting, I don't care if you're photographing on the side of a road, I don't care if you're a digital photographer or a chemical photographer, if somebody comes up to you and is, is genuinely curious about what you're doing, let them know. Maybe they're interested in doing what you do. Maybe they're just curious. Maybe they've never seen a camera like you're shooting or, or maybe they don't, maybe they have a little bit of a photographic eye, but they don't, they don't understand what you're shooting and they want to see and, and they want to, you know, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? And maybe it's the fact that Christine and I are, uh, we're paid to come out and, and talk to people about historic photography. Or sometimes we go to an event where we pay to be there and we're hoping that the, the plate sittings and the photograph, the photographs and the on-site prints is going to make us, uh, you know, make us a little bit of money to bring home and to keep surviving. But that doesn't, that doesn't change how we do things. I want to share my art. I want to share not only my art, but I want to share the, the techniques and the amazing history of photography with as many people as possible. And I, there are a lot of photographers out there, especially tintypists that think that, uh, you know, they get, they, they get snide comments about, Oh, well, I'm not here to teach you a workshop. Well, wait a minute. If I can sit there and let's say I've got a spectator come up to me and ask me, Hey, um, how does all this work? If I have a spectator come up to me and ask me to tell them exactly how wet plate is done, I will tell them the, the chemicals. I will tell them the recipe. I'll, if, if you want to know, I'll tell you everything that I've got to do to mix the chemicals and to keep the silver bath uh, uh, sensitized and to keep to, to keep everything topped up, I will tell you how I pour things. I'll even show you how I pour plates, and I'll explain it every step of the way that I can. Of course, with the development, I can't. I can't really, you know, can't bring everybody into a small wooden dark box. But if I can do that, and then I can show you how to use the camera, and if you can go home and become a competitor to me, then I suck. <laughs> You know, we're talking over 10 years of wet plate experience. Even a year of wet plate experience. You should be better than somebody who is just doing it tomorrow, let alone somebody who's doing it by just you explaining the process to them. Now, I'm not boring people with the safety aspects of it. I'm not boring people with troubleshooting. I'm not boring people with this, 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 and this. But I see a lot of it. And, and I see it, and the, in addition to that and the comments, I get, I get kind of riled up because we are out there as the ambassadors of our art. Not necessarily, as I said, not necessarily our art that we create, 
but the process that we created. I don't care if that's wet plate photography or aerial drone photography. I don't care. My basic thought is, and, and like I said, there's a lot of people out there that, that, get, that get angry with people because they're kind of picking it. Oh, how does this work? Why do, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And they kind of they kind of do the, and they either will give them a short and nasty answer or they just won't answer them at all. And again, uh, like I said, if that person can can take your answer, if you can tell them everything about a project, everything about a, a method in an hour and they can be better than you, either you're the greatest teacher in the world or you're the worst photographer in the world. As I said, if somebody can do that without a workshop, without a class, without years of experience and and trial and error, then maybe your stuff wasn't good to begin with. I don't know. And again, I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but that's just my thought. You know, most of the photographers that I know, are the wet wet plate photographers are amazing. And even the people that are just starting, they're good, but they're going to get better. But those people went through workshops or they did a lot of trial and error. Or they read a lot of books. You know, There's, it's just not going to happen. I think that works with anything. A, a chef can sit there and say, okay, well, Gordon Ramsay. Look at Gordon Ramsay. He puts out videos on YouTube, how to cook this, how to cook that. He goes around to all these restaurants that are failing. What is it, Kitchen Nightmares? Yeah. He teaches all these restaurants how to make his signature dishes. Gee, you would think that that Gordon Ramsay would be a nobody, right? Nope. Because everybody does it different. And no one, even, even the experienced chef in the restaurant down the street that he taught his classic risotto to, they're still not going to make it as good as he did. Are they going to make it better than they probably already were? Probably. But Gordon Ramsay has nothing to worry about. And the same thing for you and your art. If you are out there and you are creating art and somebody asks you a question, be generous with your information. Now, don't give them the super secret collodion recipe that you've been working on or the super secret technique to do this or to do that, but you can give them out information. I love, 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 love when a photographer comes to us when we're doing a presentation and they want to know what what is going on with the camera? How does the camera work? How is it similar to my camera? How is it different? And we show them. Here's the tilts and swings. Here's how aperture works. Here's how the shutter works. Here's how, you know, all the, the fun stuff. This is the ground glass. What do you got inside? What, you know, why do you think these bellows are here? Is it because, you know, you can put some, you know, you can, you can play it like a concertina? No, it's because that's where your focus, it's going to keep the light out. I love when we have somebody that knows a little bit about photography or Maybe a lot about photography, but just a different technique. I love being able to bridge that gap and make that connection with them because you never know. They may sit there and come to you and say, hey, uh, I really like that. I'd like to I'd like to take a workshop. Or, you know, hey, if, somebody go, if somebody's not in my area or goes with somebody else that, that teaches workshops, that's fine because I am happy that another person is practicing this because the more people that shoot film, Guess what? The more film we're going to get, right? The more people that develop in, in the, themselves, that's the more that's the longer Kodak and Ilford, and everybody's going to be making the chemicals to develop and stop and fix these photos. I want more and more people to do this, and I always say, 
You know, we we do a lot of, you know, Christine does a lot of kids' classes. I want at least one of those kids in those kids' classes that she makes. I want that 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 kid to grow up to to kind of fill our shoes. I want somebody, once we're dead and gone, keeping the art of this photography alive. And yeah, digital, digital doesn't need any help. Drone photography doesn't need any help. Real estate photography doesn't need any help. But the chemical stuff, the stuff that is so important to the history of photography, I want more people showing it off. And if somebody comes and takes my workshop and then makes a workshop of their own, so be it. I want that person to to go out there and and to get a lot more followers in the art of photography. And I think that's very important. What do you think? I think that there are a lot of people out there who think that, oh, we have to protect this and keep it secret. But you don't because, one, very few people are going to have the incentive to go out and start doing what we do. Some people Sadly. just think it's really cool but don't see themselves do it or don't have the resources or the time to do it with other things that are priorities in their life. Right. But some people just want to learn about it and answering some questions that are innocent or that might follow, start them down the path and just sharing small things with them isn't going to replace you. Right. Everybody's learned something from everybody. And even though I'm, I'm, I started off in I started off actually in middle school with film photography, but in high school with darkroom photography. And by by the time I went through high school, we did we had a darkroom, but but there was there was not enough interest in it to take a darkroom class. I had a lot of trial and error. And while I'm proud of the fact that that I I've done most of my darkroom and chemical photography experience on my own, I've learned from a lot of people. I always say that that when I started with wet plate collodion, and I one of my biggest things is I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself at first. And I, that's probably a very bullheaded kind of thing to do. I want to do it myself. I have enough experience in other chemical processes that that I can. And in fact, when we when we teach a, a lesson or a workshop in, in wet plate or anything else, I ask people, do you have darkroom experience? Because if you do, you're already way ahead of the game. But the thing is, is you know, sometimes people just, they're just, they just want knowledge. Sometimes people will come up and say, oh, and have no interest in all in photography. And I do the same thing. I will go up and ask a blacksmith, oh, why do you do this? And how do you do this? And what? I'm never going to get into blacksmithing. I don't have the beard for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, it's it's very important, I think, to share your craft. It it doesn't get less it doesn't get less valuable the more people that practice it. it. And if you are good at your craft, and hopefully if you're good at your craft, you're monetizing it somehow. You've got you've got a decade plus of experience behind your belt. Under your belt, behind your belt, under your belt, under your belt. You've got a decade of experience under your belt. No one just getting started is going to get is going to is going to dethrone you or take away your from your 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 customers. As far as me, like I said, I you know when I when I first started with Collodion, and I got images right away, but there were some things that I could have done a little bit better. I went and bought John Coffer's Doer's Guide, 
and it came with some some videos and didn't really change much through, from the doer's guide, but he did a couple things in his videos that I thought were pretty cool. Actually, I think I think the first information I bought was Quinn Jacobson, and we had Quinn on uh, interviewing him on episode 100. But Quinn, as I talked about then, he he was kind of crazy about clean room, clean room, clean room, and doing everything and 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 being safe and being having. He even had his blood tested because he was messing with a lot of chemicals that really can just blow your kidneys out of your butt. Maybe not literally. And then I saw John Coffer's, so I bought John Coffer's guide and the videos that came with that, and he's mixing chemicals out with chickens and cats running around. So I knew if I was somewhere in the middle, I was I was going to be A-OK. And that's that's what you do. You know, you, you learn a little bit from, from somebody a little bit. And even wet plate photographers. I get a lot of wet plate photographers that, that come up and say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. Can you help? Or I get a message with a, with a photo of a plate. Hey, do you have any idea what this could be? What am I going to do? Say no. You got to figure it out on your own. No, not, that's not right. And I think that should be for any art, any art. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I don't like it. Share your art. Share your art with people. Is that all you got, Christine? Everything else I was going to say is obsolete now, so that's fine. <laughs> Everything Christine says is obsolete. No, but you're past where <laughs> I was going, and you kept going. So. Oh, no. That's sad. I'm, I'm, that just ruins my day. Shush. <laughs> I had comments I was going to add. and You can't remember what the comments were? I can, but they don't make sense now. So Don't make we'll sense. Move on. <laughs> we're going to move on anyway. Well, uh, that's, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to really say about that because that's that's kind of the gist of things. Share your art. No sense in gatekeeping your hobby, and uh, and and if you're if you're doing that, if you're if you're huffing and puffing that people are asking you questions, just just you know, kind questions, you know, uh, harmless questions. Share with share with people, unless maybe you're a photographer, a wedding photographer that would rather sit in a hallway and eat his dinner by himself. Who knows, right? Well, Christine, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about it? You know, should should people be out there? Now, I'm not giving away free workshops, but like I said, if I if I can talk to you for an hour and give you every step of the process, as I said, if somebody's going to go home tomorrow, get everything together, and then put me out of business, then I'm either the best workshop person ever. That's not the case. Or maybe my stuff just wasn't that good at all. So that's on me. Somebody dethrones me. That's on me. Make sure your work is good. That's another thing. Put out the stuff. Put out the time. Take the time to make a good image. If you're underwater basket weaving, take the time to get air and then make good underwater baskets. I don't know. Maybe there's another aspect of that that I'm not thinking of. If I am missing something, let me know. Send me an email. You can connect with us on our Facebook group or through email, podcast at underredglow.com, and your comments just might make it to a future episode. As always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us. All the love and support we received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice helps out a lot. And a big thank you to our Patreon and subscription supporters, 
helps out a lot too. Starting at just a buck, you can get our shows early with our supporters only after show, all without ads. Be sure to check out our other supporter tiers as well, which are geared towards bringing you along on our darkroom projects with great rewards. I keep saying darkroom. It's just in my brain because we change that to photography projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 114 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow. And if we've earned your recommendation, other photographers of any skill over a process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening on Patreon or our supporter page, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.